0: Welcome to The Female Red Zone, a podcast dedicated to sharing insights from women who have made an indelible mark in business and the path they took to soar. Welcome to The Female Red Zone. This is Mary Beth Kosmeski. Today we have with us Elizabeth Dean. Elizabeth is a vice president and founding member of TM Financial Forensics LLC with 25 years of experience providing forensic accounting, business consulting, and valuation services to companies in their counsel. Elizabeth has been an active member of a number of organizations targeted at mentoring and developing women in business. These experiences have helped broaden her perspective on effective ways to increase and sustain the participation of women in business, which we are absolutely going to talk about today. She's a member of High Power, which is organized under leading women in technology. Thank you very much, Elizabeth, for being with us today on the Female Red Zone.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Mary Beth. I'm really um, excited to be here.
0: So as a woman that is in technology and finance and accounting, um, you know, it's not it's not an area that is populated with a lot of other women. Talk a little bit about how you decided to start this career and, and move forward in, in more of a financial career. Sure. Well,
1: I... I've always loved teaching. I always have felt like I am very good at explaining complex items and issues uh, to people. And I'm in particular I love math. I was a math and economics major. And what I found was I when I started working I, I quickly can identify key financial issues that a company faces and can simplify those complex concepts related to business and explain them to people who don't have an affinity for math or economics or finance. And so what I found myself doing was gravitating a little bit more out of auditing, um, a more traditional accounting role, into consulting. And in that capacity giving individuals and companies maybe not in the finance department a better understanding of how their company is operating and why it's operating in that way and that led me to this area of forensic accounting where I would go into a company and I would do an investigation and then report um, to the board or or other management personnel about what aspects of their company were financially performing well and what were not performing well and um, I really enjoyed it. It's like it's, it's a puzzle. It's an investigation, um, and then being able to explain the results to someone who otherwise would be lost is is a terrific benefit to the company, and and that's why I enjoyed it, and that's why I I stuck with it all this time.
0: Well, so you're really talking about a strategic look as opposed to just um, answering the black and white questions. It's, it's much more of a strategic look. But you know, as, a, as a woman, you do, you probably, and maybe one of the reasons you're involved in so many organizations or organizations to uh, be able to help women uh, and mentor women, You know, how did you decide that? Did you have a mentor? And was that a woman or a man? Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, as you uh, accurately predicted, it's not a field where you see very many women. And in fact, um, since the people that we're normally um, providing our results to are senior executives, there's not a lot of women in our client base also. Although I have seen that change uh, quite a bit over time. As a result, as I got more experienced. Um, You know, success for me as as an early person, as a young person, was making partner. Um, The company that I worked at was a consulting firm and had equity um, partnerships, and and that was important to me. And what I found over time, uh, all my mentors were men, uh, was that there just weren't very many peers uh, that were women. And as a result, I sought out opportunities to be involved in more industry-wide groups. Professional services firms have a lot of uh, industry groups they can participate in, whether that's law or accounting um, or other financial services. And so I uh, you know made a point to participate in my college, um, participate in these industry groups, and try to seek out other women professionals and how that has evolved over time is, uh, you mentioned that I'm part of the high power group, that is a group of high level management women. And what we are attempting to do in that group is to advance women in business at all levels, um, but to take the success that we've had and move that to uh, a new level, move that to a significance. And in in my case, that significance is uh, developing younger professional services women and keeping them excited about this industry and keeping them in this industry to the point where they can also have a leadership role.
0: Yeah, You know, one of the things that I've always thought about, about some of these industries that are notoriously low, uh, have n- low numbers of, of women in the industries, like financial services, like, you know, just there's, there's several of them. But that's the one that, that I think of um, being involved in that industry myself. But, um, I, you know, I believe that it has to happen when the girls are young? I, I don't think that they're going to go all the way through high school and college and then um, all of a sudden go, you know what, I want to be in something financial. I mean, I think it has to be something that's nurtured. Is that How, how young of women are you working with? And and do you think that, that what I just said is true? I do think it's true. I,
1: I think women today are still, in their younger ages, are still directed away from careers like this. And some of it is just the fact that it's been 20 plus years since I've been in this field and I haven't seen Uh, the upper level management dramatically increase as an industry. I'm I'm pleasantly able to say that both my firm and other firms that I've worked in in this field have had a larger percentage of women in upper management over time. Um, But you're right, as as an industry overall if we focus on law or or accounting we're not seeing the proportion at the top that we see in the entry level positions. I think there is a lot of support for uh, women trying to get into STEM or engineering uh, and law and accounting, um, but for various reasons, even if the entry level in those uh, positions is coming in at 50%, it's not sustaining up to the management level, and in fact, it's it's been in some years um, going backwards. Um, so I do think you need to start young. I do think we have a pretty good pipeline maybe not as much in engineering and STEM, but we have a pretty good pipeline in law and accounting. You're getting a lot of graduates out of college um, that are proportionately high for women. And we have a lot of start groups that are, you know, 50-50. But where I think we do need to uh, concentrate efforts is creating a cultural environment that encourages women to stay for the long term. And we have to get away from what I see as sort of an embed bias that, If you don't do your job the same way I do my job, then you can't be successful. Um, And what that means, I think, I see in my practice is uh, not at my firm, but across the board, uh, what I see is, uh, you know, in particular, if we focus on gender for a little bit, men who see women start families um, immediately think that that woman's not going to be as committed to the firm going forward as they were before they had kids. Uh, And and that sort of embedded bias causes women to think uh, that they're not as valuable. And rather than try to scale that wall, a lot of women would just leave a professional services company uh, and look for something that seems to be a little bit more approachable to their family life balance. And so so I do think that we, I perceive that we have a problem at the senior management level. And that until we change that problem, um, a lot of the strides we have made with respect to new HR policies and things you hear about in the press for, for example, you know Netflix and Amazon and everybody having these grander um, HR policies with respect to maternity leave, maternity leave, can we change that culture at the top to not just implement these policies but to actually encourage people to take advantage of them and not have a stigma associated with taking time off in their career. Um, I don't think we're going to see a lot of advancement in women in that topic to lots of professional services companies.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I was at a conference um, not too long ago, unfortunately not too long ago, where there was a gentleman who was speaking. And he said, he basically said in his opening remarks that women who have babies um, really can't have it all. And that was his, you know, kind of his comment. And, you know, someone said, well, why why do you think that? And he said, well, he gave the example of being in this business of financial services for 30 some years. And that's what he saw. And so he wasn't, he wasn't in a situation saying, I don't want women to be here. It's just that, listen, if you're if you're going to do the way that I see it, because that was just from his perspective that women right. can't have it all. And he said, my daughter works for me, and she leaves at 4 o'clock every day. He goes, she will not get into the corner office by leaving at 4 o'clock every day. And so I think, you know, it, it's kind of what you were it, – it's very much what you were saying. We have to – culturally, we have to change. It's not that those opinions are wrong. Um, it's just that the perception or the perspective – needs to change. I mean, it, it can't be that, um, that the blanket statement, women can't have it all, is true. It just can't be. So um, there has to be some different ways of flexibility within organizations. I mean, ha- what have you seen in, in your field? Have you, have you felt that you've ever, ever been sort of stopped from doing something that you wanted to do or felt that you were res- restrained or restricted in any way because you were a woman and because of the way people were treating you? Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> I
1: would short have, answer, you know, yes. Yeah, I, I would think many women of my of my age uh, would would have felt that at least some portion in their career. I see a very clear difference uh, even today, uh, in how senior uh, people, um, for example, uh, set assignments. Uh, if you have a woman uh, or a man who doesn't have a family. I think the assumption is that that person's going to be more willing to travel, more willing to work longer hours or overtime and the, and and sort of uh, the assumption that they're more valuable than a person who does have a family, whether that's caring for young children or caring for an elderly parent, um, but someone who has demands on their time outside of work. And I think that's just something that we're going to have to work through because I I don't think we're doing, I think we're doing ourselves a great disservice when we lose the talent uh, that people have to give that, especially in this day and age and especially in my business where so much can be done over the computer now, the assumption that someone needs to travel full time in order to be just as effective as, as their job at more targeted travel, is, is um just naive. We we can do this. Uh, people that have women in, in particular um, that have uh, parents or child commitments outside of the room can be just as valuable um, and get just as much work done. In fact, I've seen women who've had you know let's say the drop off responsibilities in the morning um, be just as effective as someone else children at nine thirty that doesn't have those same responsibilities but no, no one will be in before nine thirty, so they just show up when they show up <laughs> it's, you know the assumption that women can't can't be effective at their jobs uh, once they have a family is it's naive
0: yeah it, it really is there's no doubt well let's talk about your career for a second um what what do you think in looking at your career so far has been the most successful thing that has that has happened in your career
1: Oh, that's a really interesting question. I, I was thinking about this the other day because your feelings about things like success evolve throughout your lifetime and particularly your professional career. And as I mentioned before, you know, when I was young and just starting out in a professional services firm where it was a partnership, I felt like the pinnacle of success was just make partner. Uh, and when I achieved
0: that, it
1: was sort of, Oh, this is great and you know, five years went on and I got married and started to have kids and And I realized, you know, that really isn't the symbol of your success. The the success really um, means something much different. And I I think success means creating an environment where you think people are um, dealt with fairly, are promoted fairly, uh, are mentored fairly, and I, I've definitely seen that evolve throughout my career. So while I consider my you know, professional life to be very successful, I work at a business that I love. About five years ago, a group of um, individuals with me split off from a much larger company and created our own business. Um, and we're serving clients and we're generating money. Uh, so in that sense, we're financially successful. Uh, but in terms of my personal feelings about success, I'm most pleased with the fact that uh, we create an environment within my own company, and I hope to influence other companies to do so as well, that creates a culture that allows people to have uh, a reasonable uh, expectation that if they have family demands, that they can meet those without there being a stigma associated with it. And um, creating an environment that allows people to ask for what they need when they enter into different Periods in their life, and they need different things. Um, so, somebody who's perfectly happy to work hard before they get married, before they have kids, um, there's a place for them. People that have to have a certain accommodation because they have an elderly parent, or a uh, or a young child that needs more time, there there's a place for them, and they can be successful in business. And so I'm. I'm happy now. I feel most successful now, and I feel like I've provided a professional environment where somebody will stay in professional services because uh, somebody cares about whether or not their job comports with what they need in their family life as well.
0: Yeah, I think I think you're right that the definition of success changes. When you're in college, your definitions of success might be something very different than you know. Once you have more things, other things going on in your life, but you know you mentioned the the group high power Tell the audience a little bit about you know, some of the positive things that come from being involved in a group like that, or maybe there's a situation you can share of something that did happen in, in a group like that. I, mean, I just think it's valuable. I know that a lot of times women are so busy that doing all the things that we have to do that we don't always get as involved maybe as we may want to in an organization like this. But maybe if you can talk about some of the really positive things that have happened, it, it, it might, uh, might spur a few thoughts.
1: No, absolutely. Um, you know, if there's anybody out there that has not read or, in my case, listened to um, a book by Pamela Reichman called Stiletto Network, I would highly encourage it. High power, something similar to what she is reporting on in that book, uh, with respect to women professional networks and the way in which women feel the need uh, to make deep connections and then. Once they've made those deep connections, be able to use them um, to broadly enhance either their pers- personal goals or their professional uh, goals and so what high power uh, is intended to do is it's intended to be this intense organization of very senior women professionals who support each other in a very deep sense, um, including providing uh, you know accountability that when we Uh, assert that we are going to have a certain platform or a certain goal in our lives and we encourage people to really think bigger in their goals. For example, a lot of the women in the group are very senior professionals that have never served on a board and so you know we kind of say hey, that's a great step for you. It would be very important um, for you to be in a board position uh, because that could help you advance women in business even greater than just being a senior professional in a firm. So um, it's really a um, sort of microcosm of the kind of stiletto network that Pamela Reichman is uh, reporting on with respect to women. We get together very regularly. We have a course that people go through um, for I think it's a seven-month period. Where we're all sort of learning the same thing, and then, once you kind of graduate from the course, um, the idea is that you're going to have a platform, and that that platform is going to be something that, in addition to your professional identity and your association with your company, it really becomes your um, you know your professional or your personal agenda. And some people pick things that are more professional. some people pick things that are more personal. And then you use the group that High Power, the women involved in that group and their connections in order to advance either your professional or your personal goals. It's it's really um, an amazing organization. It's been very motivating to be part of it. Now, I was invited to be part of it, um, but there are, as you hear in the book, there are all kinds of these networks across the United States, and, and it just behoove you if you... Um, want to advance yourself personally or professionally to go out and search for these kinds of networks and and join them because they really are quite valuable.
0: Right. I recently joined a group um, in the Chicago area called Elevate, and it has been Um, really wonderful. And I travel a lot for business. So I haven't been able to attend all of the of the get togethers that they have and meetings, and some of them are more social, and some of them are very business oriented, and some are um, educational. And it's just it's a whole slew of things. But I found it the most valuable thing is really to communicate with women and hear sort of their situations and what's going on and be able to tell your own story about what what's happening and, and get some feedback from other people. And it just seems to be um, very valuable, especially for women that work in in male dominated industries. You just don't get to to have that same kind of interaction that you might um, with women in your organization, which don't exist. So
1: <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And and women they they need that trust factor in order to, I think, make asks. Now, some women. I mean, we're using generalizations, right? Some women are are um, don't need that, but absolutely I, I, right. You know, I I find that. Um, a lot of women are still a little nervous about asking for things they need, um, at least professional things they need, and these kinds of groups can really help because uh, there's no preterm. We're, we're all friends. We're all colleagues. We all know and understand what each other does in, in their day-to-day business, and we expect uh, people to ask for favors, and we hope we can give them what they need, so it's, a, it's really a tremendous exchange.
0: Well, it, you mentioned um, asking. I, I interviewed on this um, podcast uh, a woman named Laura Frederick, and she wrote the book called The Ask, And it's really about um, you know, fundraising and asking and sales and things like that. but it's really about asking. And she says that we should celebrate the results, uh, but the results are really about just asking. If I ask, that's actually what I should be celebrating, not the end goal. Did it do something for me? But the fact that you're asking and asking and asking and being out there is really um, the success that we should be celebrating. That's the result that we should be celebrating, at least in the short, short run. And I think that that's, I think it's smart advice because I think like you mentioned the ask, we have to be able to do that. We have to be able to help others, but we've got to be able to ask.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree and I I think if there's something that we can push down to the younger women that are just starting out in their professional careers, it's that mindset. It's the mindset of if you need something, you should ask. Don't don't toil in silence because you're you're the only person that knows what it is you need, what it is you need to stay at the firm you're at, what it is you need to progress at the firm you're at. Um everybody Uh, has a sense for how they think their career is going to develop and they need advice and they need counseling. Uh, And sometimes they just need something. And we do these sessions at High Power where everyone has to go around the room and make an ask. And, and, you know, people then volunteer to help in whatever way possible. And, for example, I want to join a board and I got a a little mantra about how I feel like I can be effective in doing that. And there are two women that are giving me substantial advice in um, preparing a board package so that I can submit that and try to get on a board. And I I think that it's remarkable what kinds of information and networks all of us have. And when we join together, what we can uh, do is, is really, really incredible. I, I hear sometimes people um, make an ask during one of these sessions, and I think, oh, my gosh, who is going to be able to help her with that? And sure enough, within two seconds, somebody speaks up and says, oh, I know this person that. Uh, I'm happy to introduce you to, to them. So it's, it's tremendous. And if we can start that earlier in the process for women, I, I think uh, they'll be more successful and more happy with um, their professional career.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It just, you made me think of um, uh, it. I wrote a book uh, a few years ago called The Connectors. And I was interviewing some people for the book. And I interviewed this woman who had this uh, purse. It was a kind of like a purse, but it was for real estate agents. But she wanted to sell it on the Home Shopping Network. And she didn't have any contacts at the Home Shopping Network. She had no idea how she was going to get the product there. So she sent an email out to everyone that she's ever worked with in real estate and said, hey, here's what I'm trying to do. Do you know anyone? And she said within a few Days, she literally uh, was in touch with somebody who could get her a meeting at the Home Shopping Network. And of course, what happened? Well, she got the purse on you know Home Shopping Network, and she was able to do everything that she wanted to do. But if she never sent that email out with this sort of blind ask, does anybody know anybody? Um, <laughs> and it, you know, so that it's it's kind of a it's kind of a neat thing, but it's true. But so we've got to have people to ask. We've got to we've number one, we've got to be ready to to make some kind of an ask, like you guys sort of quote force in high power. Like you have to make an ask. But it's um you have to have people that that you know that can connect to you in, in those particular ways. So here's another question for you. I we've been talking about some positive things, but you know, in every in every career, there are challenges, there are even you know, so-called failures right? That, that we run across and we've got to overcome them. What's been something in your career that's been a big challenge that you've had to overcome? And maybe you can share with our audience how you did that.
1: Well, uh, a few years ago, um, I worked for a very large company. Um, I had I had started out at a large international consulting company. About six years later, a group of people left, and I went with them. We had a small company, but as time went on, our company got bigger and bigger, and some of the more senior professionals um, wanted to retire, and we hadn't built up a good infrastructure for paying them back <laughs> their investment when they retired, and so we ended up having to do an exit strategy where we sold ourselves uh, to a very large consulting company. and. You know, I didn't have a tremendously great attitude about that and I I really, I I regret that now. I I consider my time at that firm to be a little bit of a failure because it was a very large platform and if I had, I so enjoyed the other firm um, and the firm I'm at now for the same reasons because it is relatively small and I can have a discernible impact at that firm. You know. (laughs) 10,000 <laughs> employees. I felt like it was very difficult for me to have an impact and to see the value that I was adding to the firm because there were just so many people. And I I feel in retrospect that everybody, even in a very large organization, everybody has an impact. Everything you do is beneficial to the company um, if you're doing the right things. And so I would encourage people, even when you find yourself in a circumstance maybe of your, not of your own making. Um, that you open your eyes to the opportunities that that circumstance provides um and and I've really tried to build on that as i've you know as I've moved on i I left that company uh with a group of people and we started our own firm a few years ago, as I'd mentioned, and I um tried whenever possible to stay in touch with people that I worked uh, with or had at least some relationship with at the other firm because they have tremendous resources, and when we talk about things like the ask, um, you need that bigger base in order to find that one kernel of somebody that can potentially help you. So make sure that as you as you're advancing in your career and you face different challenges or circumstances, as I said, maybe not of your own making, that you don't just close yourself off to that. That you stay open to the possibilities, um, and uh, think about how that can matter over time maybe not in the initial instance but over time that that could in my instance it could have really expanded my network if I had bought in much more heavily and much more happily <laughs> to being part mm-hmm. of that really large organization.
0: Well I think that's great advice because I think in a lot of cases something changes on us and we go I don't like this I don't like the situation and it takes what you were saying to kind of keep your eyes open and and you know what are the positives? What what what's good about this particular situation? Um, it's so easy to um, I mean, I, I initially when something big happens when there's some big change, we, we don't like it. In A lot of cases, it's just human nature. But finding the positive, I think that's I think that's great advice. So my final question for you is, what is the would you consider the riskiest thing that you've done in your career, and how did that kind of work out for you?
1: Well, I think the first time that I left a big company to go with a group of people that I didn't know well but I did know something about them um, so in some respects I guess that's less of a risk than maybe other people take when they go out on their own for example I did I did go out with um, about a hundred other people uh, to start our own firm and it was really a risk because uh, we were doing something that was fairly new to the market uh, it wasn't something that was very well recognized at that time in the 80s to do this kind of forensic accounting wasn't yet popular for independent companies. Uh, there's always been big accounting firms that you would hire, um, but an, an individual small firm um, wasn't uh, something that was very common in the landscape, and so being able to develop marketing materials and sales materials and being able to approach customers um, and potential clients with this idea that we're a small firm and therefore we're more nimble and more flexible Um, was a little bit of a risk because we just did not have the name recognition that so much of our competition had. Um, And it worked out tremendously. Um, We, by just being complete go-getters, managed to convince clients that the small firm had a tremendous advantage because we weren't mired by a lot of the red tape that even larger accounting firms had. We never had conflicts. (laughs) We, We just, you know, worked... Basically, being as responsive to the client demand as possible, we differentiated ourselves in the market, and it provided a tremendous lifestyle for me because it helped me build a circumstance where I can be a management person wherever I go. I'm at my own firm now. If I decided tomorrow I wanted to go in-house at a big accounting company, I could easily do that. Um, And that provided me with some tremendous flexibility because I do have kids, and I do have elderly parents, and being over to base, being able to now sort of write my own ticket, that allows me some flexibility to be able to be part of my kids' lives, part of my parents' lives, is a tremendous success for me. So it, it, the risking has paid off for me. I am more entrepreneurial. You feel constrained in a bigger company, so maybe at the time I didn't perceive it as much of a risk as it was. But fortunately, we did well. So so that's yeah. all good.
0: Well, thank you very much, Elizabeth, for being part of the Female Red Zone today. I have loved our conversation and have learned some things. So thank you so much. Uh, I, I really appreciate it.
1: Well, thanks for inviting me, Mary Beth. I, I think I applaud that you're doing this, and, and I hope that a lot of women are able to hear all of the podcasts that you're making and, and to stay engaged professionally um,
0: as a result. Well, thank you so much. And from The Female Red Zone, this is Mary Beth Kuzmeski. Thanks for listening to The Female Red Zone, a podcast dedicated to sharing insights from women who have made an indelible mark in business and the path they took to soar. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.